Hello everyone, today's episode includes some direct quotes that some may find inappropriate for young viewers. Each quote will be introduced as quote unquote to protect the listeners and to provide you with the most accurate picture of what is taking place at the time. Thank you for understanding and enjoy the show. American history is full of the good, bad, and everything in between, but in the end, these are our stories. Today's episode will discuss civil rights, murder, and Mississippi. So pull up a chair and join your host Jacob for a brand new episode of Emmett Till, An American Tragedy. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of The History Book. As the introduction said today, we will be talking about Emmett Till and his murder in Mississippi. Before we get into that, let's talk about how Emmett Till's family ended up in Chicago and his early life. Emmett was born to Mammy Carthan and Louis Till on July 25, 1941. His mother had moved from Mississippi to Argo, Illinois, near Chicago as part of the Great Migration in the early 1920s. The Great Migration began in the 1910s and lasted until the 70s when an estimated 6 million black Americans moved from the South to the North, Midwest, and Western states. When Emmett's family moved to the U.S., they had just entered World War II, forcing many white men to be sent off to Europe to fight, creating opportunities for African Americans to get higher-paying wages and improve their lives. After the war ended, the migration did not. Argo was sometimes referred to as Little Mississippi because of the massive amounts of Mississippi migrants that moved there. Emmett's family had moved from Tallahatchie County, where the average income was $462 in 1942 for black families. In rural areas, there were barely any economic opportunities for these black families. This forced most of the families to be sharecroppers. Sharecropping had been created out of slavery after the end of the Civil War. Once emancipated, most former slaves had deep generational connections to the South and therefore did not want to move. Former plantation owners understood this, and they needed a massive amount of people to work large-scale farms. In exchange for working the farms, the white farmers allowed the former slaves to live on the land, provided them food and clothing. Unfortunately, this created a debt system where if the crop didn't cover the expense of rent, food, and clothing, their sharecropper would be put in debt to the white farm owner. Along with this debt would come with a contract that prevented the black sharecroppers from moving for a period of time, which could be extended if they were in debt. Emmett's mother Mammy had escaped the system and raised Emmett with her mother. Emmett's father Louis Till had separated with his mother in 1942 after he had cheated on her and later abused her. After violating court orders, Lewis was told he either goes to prison or joins the army. He chose the army, but was executed in 1945 for murder and rape. Emmett contracted polio at the age of six and was later left with a stutter. When Emmett was ten, his mother moved him to Detroit, where she met and married Pink Bradley in 1951. Emmett stayed with his mother in Argo, where his mother eventually rejoined him in 1952 after she split with Pink. Mammy worked as a civilian clerk for the Air Force for better wages. Emmett was helpful at home, but his mother recalled often distracted and known for pranks. In 1952, Emmett's great-uncle Moses Preacher Wright visited the family in Chicago. During this time, Preacher told Emmett stories of Mississippi, and Emmett was convinced to go. 
He left for Money, Mississippi, eight miles north of Greenwood, Mississippi, arriving on August 21, 1955. Before leaving, Emmett's mother warned him that Chicago and Mississippi were two very different worlds and explained to him how he should act in front of white people in the South. Emmett claimed he understood. Right now, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll discuss Emmett's death and the discovery of his body. Hello, everyone. This is Jacob, the host of The History Book, here to remind you that you can find The History Book on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on our website, www.thehistorybook20.wixsite.com backslash the history book thanks and enjoy the rest of the episode thanks for staying tuned through that brief social media break when emmett arrived in mississippi he was very much a fish out of water he was from the north not to mention the big city of chicago emmett was not adjusted to sharecrop life and worked in the fields but he did not enjoy his time he did enjoy his time with his various cousins though on August 24, 1955, Emmett and his cousin, Curtis Jones, skipped church and went with some other local boys to Bryant's Grocery and Meat Market to buy candy. Bryant Grocery was owned by Roy Bryant and his wife, Carolyn. They mostly served the sharecropping population in the area, and Carolyn was alone in the front of the store that day, as her sister-in-law was in the rear of the store. The account of what happened is still disputed, and several stories exist as to what happened between Emmett and Carolyn. One story suggests that Emmett had a photo of an integrated classroom in Chicago and was bragging to the other boys that one young white woman was his girlfriend. The other boys then dared Emmett to speak to Carolyn. Emmett's cousin, Simeon Wright, was also with the boys and disputed that story. Other versions claim that Emmett whistled at Carolyn. This is possibly due to Emmett's stutter. His mother had taught him to whistle softly to himself to help him pronounce the letter B. Carolyn claimed that Emmett had grabbed her hand and asked for a date, and once she was free, he grabbed her waist and said that she didn't need to be afraid of him because he had been with a white woman before. Author Timothy Tyson claimed that Brian had admitted to him in an interview that her testimony was false and that, quote, Nothing that boy did could ever justify what happened to him. End quote. Tyson did not have this recorded on tapes, and Carolyn's daughter-in-law, Marsha Bryant, claimed that Carolyn never said that to Tyson. No matter what happened in that store between Emmett and Carolyn, Emmett left the store and Carolyn walked out to her car and grabbed a pistol and chased the boys away. Emmett and his friends returned home, and nothing happened for about three days. Roy Bryant was on a trip to Texas, and Carolyn did not immediately tell him when he arrived home. Roy found out from a person that hung out at the store and was furious that he wasn't told. Roy and his half-brother, John William J.W. Milliam, went to Preacher Wright's home and demanded that Emmett be handed over. They forced Emmett to get dressed and marched him to their car and drove off. The men forced two black men that worked for Milliam to help them bring Emmett to a barn where they beat him, and several witnesses claimed to hear screaming coming from the barn. Bryant Millam later admitted that after beating Emmett, they grabbed a 70-pound fan, shot Emmett, weighed him down, and tossed him in the Tallahatchie River. Emmett was found three days later by two boys fishing. His head was badly beaten, he had been shot above the right ear, an eye was dislodged from the socket, he had been beaten on his back and hips, stripped naked, and a fan had been tied around his neck with barbed wire. 
he was identified by his uncle. Till's body was sent back to Chicago, and his funeral was held as an open casket. Mammy said, quote, I want the world to see what they did to my boy. End quote. Roy Bryant and J.W. Millam were indicted for murder. They did not have the funds to afford attorneys, but five attorneys at the summer law firm offered their services pro bono. Bryant's supporters also collected $10,000 for their defense. Right now, we're going to take a brief ad break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the trial and the aftermath. Thanks for staying tuned through that brief ad break. After Roy Bryant and J.W. Millam were indicted for murder, they stood trial in Sumner, Mississippi. One reporter claimed the trial to be the, quote, first great media event of the civil rights movement, end quote. No hotels were open to black people that arrived for the trial. The night before the trial, a young black man named Frank Young arrived to tell T.R.M. Howard of two witnesses that were with Bryant Millam when they kidnapped and beat Emmett. Sheriff Clarence Stride had the two men jailed to prevent them from testifying. The trial began in September 1955 and lasted five days. Northerners attending the trial noticed how informal the court was held with jury members drinking beer and white male spectators carrying handguns. Sheriff Strider would often greet the black spectators with racist comments. The defense for Bryant Millam tried to cast doubt on the body being Emmett Till's and tried to assert that Preacher Wright could not have known it was Bryant and Millam who took Till. In one of the most surprising instances, Wright testified to Bryant Millam's guilt and lived, which may have been the first in the South that a black man did this. Mammy Till testified on her instructions to Emmett before he left for Mississippi. Carolyn Bryant was testified but not in front of the jury as the prosecution objected that her testimony would have nothing to do with Emmett's kidnapping and murder. Her testimony was leaked to the jury anyhow. Sheriff Stride and a doctor from Greenwood testified that the body removed from the river was not Emmett as well. In concluding statements, the prosecution stated that what Emmett did was wrong, but his actions did not warrant murder. The defense argued that the prosecution's theory of events was improbable, and the jury's forefathers would turn over in their graves if they convicted Bryant and Millam. The jury went into a 67-minute deliberation. Only three outcomes were possible for capital murder in Mississippi. Life in prison, death, or acquittal. The jury of all-white, all-male returned with an acquittal for both men. When asked about the 67-minute deliberation, one jury remarked, quote, If we hadn't stopped to drink pop, it wouldn't have taken that long. End quote. After the trial, the jury admitted to knowing that Bryant and Millen were guilty, but didn't think life in prison or death were fit sentences for a white man that killed a black man. Mind you, Emmett was 14 when he died. He was not a man. In November of 1955, a grand jury declined to indict Bryant and Millam for kidnapping, even though they were openly admitted to it. Once protected by double jeopardy, Bryant and Millam agreed to a deal with Luke Magazine to tell their story for $4,000. In the article, Millam said, quote, Damn you, I'm going to make an example out of you, just so everybody can know how me and my folks stand. 
End quote. When the article was published, letters to the editor flooded back. From the South, they said things like, quote, I want to cancel my subscription to your magazine at once. I will not have my home contaminated with filthy, dishonest articles. End quote. Others from New York wrote, quote, Minorities all over the country are indebted to your stand on this brutal slain. End quote. This admission of guilt, after the fact, encouraged many civil rights leaders to push for federal intervention to investigate the case. Emmett's murder helped contribute to the Civil Rights Act of 1957 that authorized the U.S. Department of Justice to intervene in local law enforcement issues when civil rights were being compromised. After Bryant and Millam admitted their crime, a majority of the friends who had raised money for the defense cut them off. Bryant and Millam both moved to Texas, where their infamy followed them. Millam moved back to Mississippi, but was constantly in legal trouble with assault charges, writing bad checks, and using stolen credit cards. He died on December 30, 1980, of spinal cancer. Roy Bryant worked in Texas as a welder until his eyesight forced him to quit. At some point in time, he and Carolyn divorced and he remarried in 1980. He opened a small store in Ruleville, Mississippi, where he was convicted of food stamp fraud twice. In an interview in 1985, he denied killing Emmett, even though he had already admitted to it prior. Roy Bryant died on September 1st, 1994, of cancer. Carolyn Bryant faded into a bit of obscurity, but an arrest warrant was discovered for her in a Mississippi courthouse basement in late June 2022. Carolyn currently lives in North Carolina, Mammy Till married Jean Mobley on June 24, 1957, and she became a school teacher. She also became very active in the NAACP and shared her son's story on speaking tours across the country. Most of her activism centered on education. She and Jean remained happily married till he died in March of 2000. On January 6, 2003, Mammy Till Mobley died of heart failure. She is buried near her son, where her monument reads, quote, Her pain united a nation, end quote. In May of 2004, the FBI reopened the investigation to find out if any other individuals were involved. By March of 2006, the case was closed again when the FBI announced that the five-year statute of limitations for federal criminal civil rights violations has expired, preventing the federal government from prosecuting. In 2004, 60 Minutes Investigation put out a theory that was forwarded at least 14 people were involved in the kidnap and murder of Emmett Till, and five of them were black. In the same investigation, reporter Ed Bradley found where Carolyn was living, and her son Frank told him goodbye as though he was leaving, and when Bradley asked if he was leaving, Frank simply responded with, No, you are. As of the recording of this episode, Carolyn Bryant was not brought up on charges of kidnapping for Emmett Till, but is still living somewhere in North Carolina. Right now, we're going to take a brief musical break, and when we come back, we'll talk about what's coming up next.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The History Book. Our next episode will be on March 8th, and it will cover Abigail Adams, Revolutionary Women. Until then, this has been Jacob with The History Book, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>